Psalm 16. This one's a little longer than the one we had last week. Last week we looked at Psalm 15, which was a very short psalm, but a very practical psalm. It was very uh, good advice for us, very simple advice as to what God requires for those who desire to dwell in the presence of the Lord. He requires us to do some pretty simple things. And to sum it all up, it's just be honest, be righteous, and love each other. Don't, don't, don't talk about other people, mistreat other people. And that was a good few verses we looked at last week. This week, uh, Psalm 16, the superscription to this psalm is a Davidic miktam, or miktam. I don't really know exactly how to say that word, and nor do I know what that word means, and I'm not alone. I've looked up, and uh, like many of these words that we see in these superscriptions, we just don't really know what they mean. It has been lost in translation through the years exactly what is intended by uh, that word, if your Bible has that in the, in the little title uh, under where it said Psalm 16. Uh, there are many different uh, views, of course, as to what it can mean, uh, some of the most popular being similar to the other ones that we've seen that we don't know what they mean, and that is it could have been some musical term. It could have been something to let the director of a choir or a worship leader know this is a tune that this, that this psalm is to be sung to or to be recited to. Uh, there are different opinions as to what this word can mean, but I don't really know what it means, and it's not really important, but some of you may have been like me, and you may have saw that word and said, well, I wonder what that is. Well, I wish I could tell you what it is, but we just don't know. Um, My Bible defines it. All right, so let's see what your Bible says. A musical term of uncertain meaning. Yeah, that's a... That's one of the that's 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 probably the most popular view is that it has something to do with music uh, but then there's uh, there are plenty of other views there's no shortage of views but but yes it probably does have something to do with music but we just will have to say we don't know I would say when we get to heaven we could ask God but when we get to heaven we probably won't care what a mictum is so it won't matter here or there or anywhere all right so let's pray and then we'll jump in Father God, I pray that you be with us tonight. I pray that you get my head thinking about your word here. Get me focused, dear Lord God. Help me to be able just to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to be beneficial to these hearers. Even though we may be few in number tonight, God, I pray that you bless us. Help us to understand what your word means, even if we don't always understand all these crazy words, even if we don't understand maybe everything that goes on. Help us not to miss the purpose of your word, God. Help me not to babble on about things that don't matter, but help me to stay on track and help us to, to get something from your word tonight. So I pray God just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. Now this is a super common thing that we've seen. We're only into the 16th Psalm in the book and, and this idea of taking refuge in the Lord is repeated again and again. And I always say, well, well, golly, this sounds like a lot of the other Psalms. Well, it does, but it's something that I believe that we need to be reminded of. Uh, we need to pay attention to what David, or whoever the psalmist may have been here, was doing. Uh, the psalmist here was recognizing that, look, I am going to take refuge in the Lord no matter what is going on, whether my life is good, whether my life is bad, whether I'm happy, whether I'm I'm sad. I'm going to be founded in the Lord, and that's where everything is going to start at. Verse 2, I said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. Now, that's a pretty simple verse, but that's a, that's a pretty simple thought that the psalmist had here. But he recognized something that's 
that's, that's so true. That is, he, he recognized that there is no good apart from the Lord. And that's very true for us today. There is no good apart from the Lord in this world. Any good that we see in this world, it is because of God. God is a good God. Any good that we see is because God has allowed good things to happen. Now, there are plenty of evil things that have come, and those things are a result of sin. But anything good that has happened in this world ever is because of God. And David recognized that. He recognized that no good came in his life or anybody else's life apart from the grace and mercy of God. Do we always deserve the good that happens to us? Well, absolutely not. God doesn't do good things for us because we are always deserving of it. But God does good things to us because He is a good God. And David recognized that. He knew that there was no good that was going to come in his life that had come or would come apart from the Lord. Verse 3, As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrow of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. So here David is making a contrast uh, between two different groups. Now when he talks about the land here, uh, we don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I believe probably what he's talking about is he's talking about the land of Israel, God's people, the land that God had given them. And he's contrasting that there are two different groups. There is one group who is living right. Uh, the holy people in the land, they are the noble ones. And David says, look, all my delight is in them. He is, he is delighting in those in the land who are doing good. That is, those who are living for the Lord, who are living in righteous, who are living in obedience. And that's one group that's in the land, but there's also another group in the land. There's a group that is not living in obedience. There are some in the land that God has given them that are not living for the Lord, that are not doing what the Lord says. They are not following the Lord. Even in some cases, maybe they were following the Lord, Yahweh, their God, but they may have also been following other gods. That is, there was nothing necessarily special about Yahweh. He was just one of many gods. Well, that's... What some people in our world probably have that mindset too. Well, I, hey, your God's a good God, but I believe in this God. Well, that's just silliness. That's just kooky talk. And we see in Scripture that God makes full will uh, known that He is the only uh, God. But in this case here, in, in these verses, David is saying, look, there are some who are obedient to the Lord, but there are some who are not trusting in the Lord, who do not serve the Lord, who are not obedient to the Lord. And he says in verse 4, the sorrow sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. He says, look, I realize that only good comes from the Lord. But on the flip side of that, if you choose to reject the Lord, then guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of sorrow in your life. Now, we know that to be the case. If you've been here on the last uh, few uh, Sunday nights when we're going through the book of Exodus, what are we seeing with Pharaoh? We're seeing someone who does not serve the Lord. We're seeing someone who worships false gods. And what did we see last Sunday night? We saw, guess what? He had many sorrows. God began to pour out judgment on him. Why? Because he did not listen to the Lord. God said, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh said, not going to do it. As a result of that, as a result of him seeking other gods and not the one and only true God, the God of Israel, the one that David trusted in here, he began to have many sorrows as a result of that. We just looked at one of them Sunday night, and there are going to be more to come. And the same is true for us today. The same is true for those in our world today. 
even as Christians, when we don't walk in obedience to the Lord and we live in sin, guess what? We face sorrows. We can probably all relate to that. There are probably some times in our life that we have not acted in the way that we should, and as a result of that, it has brought about some hard times, some sorrow in our life. And that's what David is pointing out here. The sorrow of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. Now, hopefully we aren't taking another God. That is, we aren't worshiping some other deity who we think is all-powerful. I hope that that is not the case. But, but the point really is this. Is there anything in our life that is taking priority over God? that is causing us to get into a lifestyle of sin that is, in turn, causing sorrowness to multiply in our life. That's what David says will happen to those who reject God or disobedient to God. And we need to take those words to heart and we need to listen to those words. Speaking of those in verse 4 at the end of it, he says, I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. David is saying, I don't want to be associated with them. David wants to praise the Lord God. He wants to worship God. But he doesn't want to do anything that these people who are worshiping false gods are doing. Now, God gave them uh, the commands in the Old Testament and the law of what was to be sacrificed for what sins. Were there supposed to be sacrifices and offerings lifted up to the Lord? Absolutely. But what was going on is that there were people who were worshiping false gods and they were doing all these weird and crazy sacrifices and offering to their God. And David was saying, I'm not going to have any part in that. I'm not going to have any part in these uh, worshiping uh, these false gods and sacrificing and offering these things to these gods. This isn't something that the child of God should be involved in. And David says, I'm not going to be involved in it. He says, I will not speak their names with my lips. He's saying, I don't want to be associated with the wicked. I want you to know, God, that I am going to live in righteousness and I am going to follow you. Verse 5, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing, you hold my future. Well, that's good stuff right there. That's, that's my favorite line, I think, from this psalm and to the beginning of verse 5. Lord, you are my portion. That is, everything David needed, he knew he was going to get from the Lord. He was fully content in the Lord. He wasn't worried about outward circumstances. He wasn't worried about wealth. He wasn't worried about anything else. Look, might those bad times have come in his life? Might David have got scared at times? Absolutely. But David was grounded on the fact that the Lord was his portion. That is, the Lord was all he needed. And not only that, he said, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. We'll see a little later on in Psalm 23. Uh, you already know it. Uh, he says, look, my cup runneth over. That is, God has provided for him over and above anything that he could ever need. God is abundantly providing for him just like he does for us. But the question we have to ask is, is God our portion? That is, are we perfectly content with everything that God has given us, with where God has put us? If everything changes tomorrow, if we lose our home, if we lose our car, if we lose our bank account, if we lose everything, are we going to stick by God? Are we going to be content with God? Or is that just going to destroy us because we've put too much faith in our other stuff? Have we made other people or other things our portion instead of the Lord? David had made the Lord his portion. David had made the Lord the one and only thing that he knew that he needed to cling to, the one and only thing that was going to deliver him, that was going to protect him, that was going to save him, that was going to provide for him, and not only provide for him, but provide for him abundantly. And so David knew that the Lord was his portion. 
verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now that's some, that's some interesting language. And in the context, I don't know exactly what David here might have been talking about when he talks about boundary lines. Could he have been talking about the promised land? Absolutely. God had, had laid out pretty clearly who was going to get what land, what land was going to be the Israelites, and it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And it could be that, that David is making a reference to that here. He is praising God because God has lined out for them and said, here is your land, here is your inheritance. It is marked out, it is mapped out, and this is yours. That could be what David is talking about there. In the context, maybe so. But when I read that verse, uh, it, it kind of speaks to me in a different way when he says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Uh, I, I think about... Uh, you know, I think about like surveyors. They go out and they mark and they, and that's a big deal. Like land is a big deal. Like you want to claim what's yours. You want to get a professional out there. You want to make sure that you know where those lines are and those boundaries are marked because what's inside those boundaries is yours. And you're claiming it. You're going to make sure everybody knows that you have that marked out so they know that that is yours. And when I read those verses, I don't think about that necessarily in the sense of a land type of situation, but I think about it as a soul type of situation. That is, when God sees us and He desires to have us and we come to Jesus Christ, God puts that boundary marker around us and He says, This is mine. I'm marking this one. This is my spot. And boy, you think some people fight for land? Well, this is my five foot of, foot of land right here. You got your fence too. People will fight and feud and fuss and kill each other over a little bit of land. How much more so will God fight for us because God desperately desires to have us. And when we accept Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's what I think about when I read these verses, that, that God has, has marked us off and we are His property and He has put those boundary lines on us, not in a land sense, but in an eternal sense that we are sealed and that we are his and perhaps that's the same mindset that David had as he said those words and indeed we have a beautiful inheritance because we are the possession of the Lord verse 7 I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my conscience instructs me David is, is, is focusing on the Lord day and night, not only during the day, but also during the night. Perhaps what I thought about when I read this, is this, this may not at all be what he was talking about, what I was thinking about. Maybe he's talking about in his dreams, maybe the, the dreams that he has at night. Maybe even he's so focused and so uh, uh, eager to hear what God has to say. Maybe God is speaking to him through his dreams. Now, I know that may be kind of crazy out there, and that, and that may not be what he intended, but... The point is, is that David was always focused on the Lord, whether it be at night, whether it be at day, whether it be while he was awake, or perhaps even while he was asleep. David was focused on the Lord. Verse 8, I keep the Lord in mind always because He is my right hand. I will not be shaken. So we already saw earlier that David said, look, the Lord is my portion. And here David says again, look, because God is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because I am so focused on the Lord, because I trust in the Lord so much, there is nothing that is going to shake me because my trust is in someone who is unshakable. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. Isn't that good when we are in a good relationship with the Lord and we're walking righteously with the Lord and everything is good. We're spending time in prayer. We're spending time in God's Word. 
and we just kind of feel the peace and the presence of God, that's a pretty good feeling. And David says here, he's done stated, we know that he trusts the Lord. And he says, look, my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. And he says that his body rests securely. Boy, it's, it's good when you kind of feel at peace and you can sit down and your, and your brain gets clear. Because our brains get full of stuff, right? Our brains get full of the stresses and the worries of the world. And sometimes it's just kind of hard to lay down and get our brains to stop. Sometimes it's kind of hard to rest. Maybe we need to pray to the Lord and say, look, God, I need some rest. David found it. David knew where he was going to find his rest. And he knew that it was going to be by giving everything to the Lord. And he knew he was going to be able to rest securely. Verse 10. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now that's kind of a a tough verse. Some translations would say uh, you will not abandon me to hell. And I don't think that that's the most accurate translation there. I think that can lead to a little confusion. I'm not going to go on a whole uh, 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 little preaching thing here about Sheol. But uh, Sheol uh, really in in the grand scheme of things... uh, in the context and in the, in the language there, probably meant simply the realm of the dead. That is, David was saying, you have not abandoned me. I'm, just, I'm not going to just die and lay in the ground and that's, and that's going to be the end of it for me. You are going to do something so much greater to me. You are not going to abandon me to the grave. You are not going to leave me in the realm of the dead forever. David is saying there is more to this life than just this life and that even when my life is gone and my last breath is taking, you are not going to abandon me you are not going to allow your faithful one to see decay now these verses were also used in the new testament you may uh, they may sound familiar to you if you read in acts chapter 13 verse 35 uh, these verses are used and guess who they're talking about they're talking about jesus christ so these verses are kind of a foreshadowing these verses have some prophetic value pointing us toward jesus christ in the book of acts uh, obviously the author that wrote that uh, probably luke he believed that these verses were talking about jesus christ and so sometimes we see verses that may have kind of a dual meaning and i think this uh, could be uh, one of those in david's time sure he was praising the lord and using this but uh by the time Jesus came around, Luke realized that this verse was pointing to Jesus. Jesus was not allowed to see decay. Even though his body died when he was killed on the cross and put in the tomb, God ultimately resurrected him. He brought him back from the grave. He did not abandon him forever. Verse 11, You reveal the path of life to me, and your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. That's good stuff. In your presence is abundant joy. You know, sometimes in life, we, we kind of lose our, our joy. It's not that we lose our relationship with the Lord. Maybe sin has come in and it has messed our relationship with the Lord up. Perhaps it's just the normal stresses of life. Perhaps you're just tired mentally, physically. There may be many things in life that are causing us not to have much joy. Because uh, we dread what we have to get up and do the next day, whether it's work or whatever it may be going on in our life, somewhere we have to go, someone we have to talk to, something we have to do. There may be many things in our life that bring about a lot of fear or a lot of dread. And maybe in those times we just need to go to the Lord and say, Look, God, I don't feel a lot of joy right now. And we see these verses that tell us that God gives us joy, but sometimes it's kind of hard to feel that joy. And maybe we just need to spend a little more time with the Lord. Maybe we just need to throw up a little quick prayer. Maybe we just need to read a little quick Bible verse and say, Look, God, give me a break. Give me some peace. Give me some joy. Help me to rest easy and help me to feel your presence and feel your joy. Let's pray. 
Father God, I come to you tonight and I pray that you would just speak to us through these words. Help us to get some encouragement through these words. I pray that if there is one here tonight that's just tired, that's just kind of struggling, that just doesn't feel very joyful, God, that you just would restore their joy. God, I pray that you would be our portion, that you would be all we need. God, you are all we need. And we say that, we know that in our head, and we do. But help us to live that in our life, dear Lord. Help us to trust you and trust you fully so that in you we can find the joy that we need and the, and the strength and encouragement that we need to make it through a day. God, David had found that strength, he had found that encouragement, and he found it in you. So help us to do the same thing, God. So I pray that you bless each one tonight. I pray that you take care of the ones that may be struggling. I pray that you just would restore the joy of their salvation, God. Maybe they've lost it because of just stress. Maybe it's because of sin. But God, help them to not forget that you're there, that you love them, that you're fighting for them, dear Lord, that they are yours, that you have sealed them, that you have marked them, God, that you are, you are there for them. So help them to feel the joy of your presence and rest easy tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.